Informational power manifests in the relationship between a provider rather than a mere emissary and a recipient. Uh, information power can result from a lack of shared understanding between the producer and the consumer of the information being disseminated or from the lack of a shared understanding between the international parties involved in its production. It is also characterized by an emphasis on the responsibility of providing information that leads to an effective decision-making. The perception uh, here is that to provide information is, in essence, empowering. Although this is very common, a uh, very common perception of empowering or empowerment uh, within functionalist contexts, where information is transmitted to mold the individual to better function within a given society, and functional is defined by the dominant culture, um, this perception is very problematic. Uh, in the international context, for instance, where rationalist conceptions, such as context-bound considerations, coexist with realist conceptions informed by functionalism, it is problematic then to assume that the culture-bound information being passed is empowering to all who receive it, regardless of its cultural context. There's a tendency for international institutions and to some extent regional institutions to place local governments at the mercy of the information by defining what successful institutions should look like, how policies should be crafted and implemented for better societal functioning, uh, what constitutes good governance, how educational reform should look like, and so on and so on. This renders international institutions, both at the global and regional level, to a position of indispensable expertise, which makes them guardians of indispensable information. And we should also point that uh, it's not only international institutions in the sense of organizations uh, that we, you know, developing organizations, so for development organizations, we're talking also about educational institutions here uh, with its experts. Now, for me, as an expert in comparative and international education, this should be disconcerting and a matter to be addressed. In my observation, for instance, the field of comparative and international education is at a crossroad of defining itself in regards to its agenda. This position of being at a crossroad amidst the pressure of competition to accumulate informational power would require that comparativists ask themselves very hard questions. Um, and, and it's very, you know, important that we do, you know, ask ourselves these questions, such as, should we sponsor a perspective of international and developing or development education founded on the information era project, uh, which is that of creating banks to inform the so-called developing world on educational policy formation and implementation, teacher training, curricula, good governance of educational political institutions, literacy campaigns, uh, peace education, and so on. Or should we embark on a learning experience and a campaign for equality of acceptance and equity of engagement of multi-contextual knowledges from the various ethno 
geographic context about which uh, about each of these issues. Now, this is a matter to be tackled by those whose burden is to continue the legacy in which the field seems to have been founded, as many delight in citing settlers' analogy in our field uh, of many learning. This, you know, this this field, this legacy, has been founded uh, founded on mutual learning. I mean, amidst the pressure of competition for monopoly of expertise and intellectual colonialism. So we we need to revisit this whole idea of mutual learning. Uh, you know, despite all this pressure, that you know, there's got to be some sort of monopolizing expertise some organization has to rule in terms of intellectual ability and you know building of research universities and research institutions that are prime you know like they're top-notch research institutions yes to all of that but we have to do it with care really really carefully now the question is with will should comparative education be sponsoring these things or should we be looking at more whether you know we can nurture a culture of mutual learning amidst this pressure of monopoly of expertise. Now, in the end, although not always recognized by those involved in negotiations over educational policy, for instance, informational power plays an important role in the fairness of negotiations. Uh, that is, the more active role a party has, uh, or a party has in establishing an agreement, then the more likely it is to actively participate as expert in bringing the terms of the agreement to fruition. And, you know, the goal essentially should be to have to provide, uh, no, you know, have no provider and recipient and you know have nobody saying well i'm the one giving the information they'll receive it and they will implement information because i have the information I mean, there's no in other words there's no better experts or greater experts or greater levels of expertise uh, it's all a shared a core shared uh, community of people who have information in which then we become all co-sharers of information that has the same weight in value and utility. And that, that is very critical, that this information be looked at as same weight and value in value and in utility, that there is no information that is greater than the other from one part of the world or the other. And in that way, we can be creating better institutions. And, and the field of comparative and international education can arbitrate this sort of a process uh, of balancing informational power throughout the world. Thank you very much. And I hope that you do listen to the next podcast.